Welcome to the 20th episode of the 1796 Podcast, a monthly podcast that features exclusive interviews and in-depth news about the Tennessee National Guard and the Tennessee Military Department. The 1796 Podcast is produced every month by the Airmen and Soldiers of the Tennessee National Guard Joint Public Affairs Office. I'm Lieutenant Colonel Malone. I'm Master Sergeant Ham, And I'm Captain Hall, your co-host of the 1796 Podcast. Next month marks the 30th anniversary of the Battle of Mogadishu, which many Americans remember as Black Hawk Down. We have the privilege to interview Master Sergeant Jay Survey from the 118th Medical Group, who was in Mogadishu in October of 1993. He will share his story and experience being in Somalia during those fateful October days. And of course, we'll brief you on the latest news impacting the Tennessee National Guard in our Tennessee Bluff news segment. Before our interview, we want to take a few minutes to provide background on Somalia and its capital city of Mogadishu for context as to why American troops were in country in the early 1990s. After World War II, what is now the country of Somalia was made up of two protectorates, one by the British and one by the Italians. In the early 1960s, Somalia gained its independence and formed one state from those two pieces. A few democracies followed, but from 1961 to 1991, the country was ruled by General Syed Barr after he seized power in a military coup. By 1991, warlords in the country of Somalia were waging civil war leading to widespread famine. The following year, the United Nations established relief efforts to provide food and medicine to the civilians of the country. However, the warlord factions intercepted much of that relief aid and those items became political currency amongst the warlords. The most powerful faction in Somalia, starting in 1991, was by General Mohamed Adid and his coalition of the strongest militia leaders. August 1992, President George H.W. Bush initiated Operation Provide Relief, which was a military undertaking by the 5th Special Forces Group and supported by 10 C-130s and their crews. Despite U.S. engagement, Adid's forces still intercepted much of the relief intended for starving civilians. Tensions flared in June and July of 1993 as General Adid's troops killed 24 Pakistanis, 5 Moroccans, and 2 Italians. And his actions against the United States were dramatically escalated when Adid's troops killed 4 U.S. military police officers. Those attacks changed the American response and Adid became a top target for capture. U.S. Army Major General William Garrison was tasked with leading the raid by Special Operations Forces on the Olympic Hotel in Mogadishu, where Adid was thought to be hiding. On October 3, 1993, an assault group landed via helicopter and secured the hotel, taking 24 prisoners in the process, but Adid was not located. American ground forces attempting to reach the hotel for extraction were delayed by Somali roadblocks, and subjected to constant gunfire. Two Black Hawk helicopters attempting to reach the hotel were shot down by rocket-propelled grenades, leaving the air crews highly vulnerable at the crash sites. Sadly, the resulting attempts to reach the crash sites resulted in multiple casualties and the capture of one of the Black Hawk pilots, Mike Durant. The surviving air crew hunkered down for the night. The next morning, U.S. and U.N. relief forces launched a rescue mission for the surviving air crew. In total, U.S. casualties in the Battle of Mogadishu numbered 18 dead and 84 wounded, among fewer than 200 personnel involved in the initial assault. 
Durant, was released 11 days after his capture. The battle resulted in a major change in U.S. policy as President Bill Clinton ordered American troops out of Somalia. In this episode, we remember the courageous soldiers and American military personnel who served during the Battle of Mogadishu. Please stay tuned for the interview immediately following this month's Bluff News segment with Captain Hall. Up first this month in the Tennessee Bluff, soldiers from the Tennessee National Guard's Finance Management Support Detachment departed Tennessee on Tuesday, September 5th for the first leg of a year-long deployment to the Middle East. The detachment stationed in Nashville is a finance unit comprised of National Guardsmen trained to process soldiers' pay, provide debt management, and safeguard the Army's financial assets. In other news, two UH-60 Blackhawk helicopters from Knoxville's 1-230th Assault Helicopter Battalion are supporting the Louisiana response to the Tiger Island wildfire burning in Beauregard Parish, the largest wildfire in the state's history. The 12-person team, which includes the flight crews and ground maintenance team, departed from McGee-Tyson Air National Guard Base, headed for Louisiana. They will be using Bambi buckets, a specialized bucket system suspended from the helicopter to deliver hundreds of gallons of water from the air to fight the wildfires. The Blackhawks will pick up water from nearby water sources and drop it directly on the needed areas. And in national news, federal lawmakers are continuing to debate whether to establish a space guard after three years of deliberation. The House of Representatives included a provision creating a space guard in its 2024 version of the National Defense Authorization Act, but the Senate version did not include the creation of a space guard. The two chambers must reconcile the legislation before it heads to the president's desk for signature. That's our Tennessee Bluff for this month. And now over to Lieutenant Colonel Malone. All right, listeners of the 1796 podcast, welcome. We're thrilled to have you with us. We have a special guest with us today. We are joined by Master Sergeant Jay Survey, who is in the 118th Medical Group at Berryfield Air National Guard Base. Master Sergeant Survey, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you, Colonel, for having me. This is uh, looking forward to this conversation together. All right, you are here because you were in Mogadishu, Somalia during the Battle of Mogadishu. And so before we get into that, that was 30 years ago. So mm-hmm. October 3rd and 4th is the 30-year anniversary of that battle. Yes, sir. So that tells us you've had at least a 30-year career. <laughs> yeah. All right, so give us a synopsis uh, of that career. <laughs> yeah, you put it that way, it starts. it's almost comical. Isn't <laughs> I'm it? Right wow. there with you, so. <laughs> yeah, so uh, 1990, uh, uh, oddly enough, October of 1990, I joined the Tennessee Air National Guard out of, fresh out of... Uh, volunteer state community college playing baseball and didn't know where life was was going so decided to join the military and uh had some friends that i made that were in the aeromed unit there at the unit and uh talked me into coming out and signing up so started off with aeromedical evacuation with the 118th uh that which led uh for 24 years um and many many deployments but uh, you think you join an aeromedical evacuation and you're flying everywhere? Well, it's not, not the case, not always the case when when you have a ground element that you have to take care of. But we'll, um, and then that was 24 years, right at 24 years, and then we took on a new mission, uh, the, um, the UASs, and we took that on. So it was one of those moments in in uh, in your career when you stay as when you're a lifer like we are. So, so just let our listeners yeah. know the, the 118th. 
had C-130s. Yes. When those C-130s went away, aeromedical evacuation, you didn't have a place to put your patients. That's right. Okay. That's right. Yeah. So we were we were borrowing uh, from other units to come down and, and, and support us in our mission. Right, so right. 135, 17s. Mm -hmm. Uh, well, back in the day, 141s, but uh, when that happened, yeah, we still had 130s, and when they uh, left and we took on our new mission, right. then, you know, as a as an airman, you have to make a decision whether you're going to transfer to a unit, another unit that right. has that capability or cross-train, cross -train. And, and that's what I did. I cross-trained into the, the UAS uh, field and became a sensor operator there. Okay. Um, then uh, led to a um, uh, acting first sergeant role, then the balance of civilian and military career as a guards person uh, came into play, so I had to make a call there and step down from that to take on my civilian uh, responsibilities as far as the Nashville Fire Department goes mm -hmm. and landed a, a seat back in the medical field okay. at the clinic. Yeah, so, what, so let us know what you do on the civilian side. Yes, sir. I'm a district chief on the Nashville Fire Department. I've been there 28 years and I uh, have a um, resume that is uh, extensive there also from firefighter to um, homeland security liaison mm -hmm. to fire instructor then to uh, captain on the equipment and then moved to the office of emergency management where i was the chief operating officer there and worked closely with tima so for those that are wondering about nashville that's that's the nashville branch of emergency management mm -hmm. uh, worked closely with tima in that and then that led to a homeless impact director position for the city of Nashville as an interim. And once that time was served, then I went back to the fire department. Now I'm a logistics chief. Gotcha. Yes, sir. Gotcha. I guess being medical uh, and, and a temporary first sergeant for a while in, in the unmanned, what I'm trying to get at is your civilian and your military career kind of dovetailed pretty well. Yeah, well, the reason why I'm in the fire department is because of Mogadishu, Somalia, okay. where we did uh, some work with the flight line fire department. You know, we put things in a box until we're deployed, and we realize that those assets are going to be used wherever they're needed, not just in their normal everyday realm, right? So I attached with the fire department there in Mogadishu, Somalia, okay. did some rescues with them. I was like, you know what? I want to do this at home. Okay. And that's how it led into me becoming a firefighter here in Nashville. Very cool. Yeah. I didn't know that. That's yeah. perfect. Yeah, <laughs> great, it great. fit. It fit. All right. So you were in Aeromed Squadron. Yes, sir. The 118th. Mm-hmm. What led you to being at Mogadishu Airport during this window of time? As a good guardsman, back in, in those 90s, we had a, uh, a major softball team that, uh, that competed nationally, yeah. and we, uh, we were close to each other. Well, there was um, someone named Mike Nay that most people may have heard of if they're from the Nashville unit, uh, came to me and said, hey, uh, there is a need. Uh, in Mogadishu, Somalia, called Restore Hope, and and we need you, we need you to go. And I said, let's let's make it happen. You know, the way it was sold was a humanitarian effort mm -hmm. uh, from a uh, dominating drug lord that was there, who was dominating the resources, yeah. right? Yeah. And we were going over to help teach and support folks on how to stand on their own, right? right? Which you know quickly turned into something that uh, went down in history. Yeah, so the UN was providing humanitarian aid, yes. food, medicine, mm -hmm. water, and the warlord was taking that and using it right. as Right, right, right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, you know, 130s dropping, you know, food off, you know, right. parachuting it in and things like that. So, yeah, it was um, 
was a big effort uh, that that turned sour kind of quick. Yeah. So what window of time were you there? Uh, uh, so, so like we said, October third, fourth was the. Oh yes, sir. The movie, of course, made it famous. Yes, we know about which is uh, which is nicknamed Bloody Sunday. Right. And we're doing this interview on a Sunday. Yes, we are. So isn't it weird how things work yeah, sometimes, yeah. right? Uh, so I, we deployed Charlie, um, Thomas, Sylvia, and I deployed in August okay. of 93. Yeah. And we flew in on a C5 uh-huh. uh, in the car in the, um, the passenger area up uh-huh. top where you have to oh, climb the yeah. ladder, remember, and yeah. get up there and sit backwards and all that stuff, right? Right. <laughs> And uh, flew in and uh, still young, 23-year-old. Like I said, I'm, I'm still fresh in the guard. I got in in 90, so we're going over there in 93. So, you know, training medically was about a year. So really I only had a year in the unit before I deployed, yeah. right? So uh, to get, you know, on-job training, you know, things done like that. So left college, went to that, and then next thing you know, I'm on a C5 rolling over there. Uh, get there. Of course, it's hot. It's desert. I don't know what to expect, but I'm, in my mind I've already – processed uh, humanitarian effort right because i was raised by by a social worker right my father and so meeting human need was important so that's where i was that's where my mindset was you know i also uh, but i could also provide you know medical support for for small injuries or whatever that might be while we're there right and maybe even teach some of those uh, techniques to local nationals to help them provide for themselves so, you know, had that in mind, and we go in, and it's, uh, of course, it's a desert, but it's an airport mm-hmm. in, in this, this area. And uh, we fly in, and it's hot as all get out, and we're met by some other guard members, and, and, and away we go. All right, so you were at the AeroMed station at the airport. That was your center of operation. Right, yeah. Right? So what was that place like leading up to, to October 3 and 4? Right, what so, you so that area that you're – made mention to was called a massive right mm-hmm. and a massive is a mobile air staging facility yep. which is known as erps nowadays okay. uh, so they okay. changed the name yeah. same same application gotcha. what we would do there is we were a staging facility for injuries that needed to be aerovect out right. um and, and that makes sense right you were air med right so right they're prepping people that's right to do the air right med so they would get injured of some sort i mean shark bites were popular over there but maybe some small rounds or something like that or a twisted broken ankle from right. doing normal everyday gotcha. things and we were handling those and we would fly those out on available aircraft that would come in so basically we're a holding facility for up to 72 hours uh, but most of the time it was 12 or less, depending on available aircraft and how quick we would get them in and, and where they, their destination and where they were going. Most of the time it was Germany, but Cairo to Germany and all that. That went on for a couple weeks, right, that kind of um, pace mm-hmm. of that. And, we, you know, you work shifts because it's a 24-hour operation, mm-hmm. so you work days, mids, or nights. And, you know, it's the, you get into it, you just happen to be in the middle of nowhere doing it, right? And then it's tent city. Uh, so we had our, our living tent. We had... Uh, a CE tent. We had our a um, uh, AOT tent, which is the coordination piece of the the aircraft. Then we had our Chow Hall tent. We had you know so sure. the tent's a little tent city right and there. All that was at the airport. All that was at on the right off the tarmac, okay. right? So all to get to draw a picture, mm-hmm. right? But this this airport had been blasted it's it, so it's not like you're flying in the na- no, <laughs> right yeah yeah it had a building but i wouldn't call it much but um <laughs> so we were set right there on the tarmac naturally you want that uh masf 
beside the tarmac so you can carry patients to the rear or front of the air, whatever it might be, to the aircraft, right? Because they come in on the tarmac, turn around, park, and then we load. So naturally, we're right there. And that's where most time you try to do that operation. Uh, and then uh, a few weeks later, some larger aircraft fly in that are unmarked. And remember, I'm green. Mm -hmm. I'm a baseball player <laughs> that just happens to be a medic, yeah. <laughs> right? right. Uh, these big aircraft, and the, the, the nose of this aircraft comes up, and the tail drops, yeah. and off roll these little helicopters, uh -huh. and guys running around, and uh -huh. all kinds of stuff. And, and then they started taking over the, the tarmac and parking areas, and then there was a hangar. Um, so there was like a little one-way street or pathway in between our tent and the hangar because uh -huh. uh, we were going to use the hangar if there were ever an influx of patients that would outreach, you know, uh -huh. that would fill the tent. Right, right, so overflow. Overflow, chaos, right. Yeah. Uh, but then these guys come in and they take over the hangar and – Next thing you know, I'm seeing a bunch of guys with battle rattle, you know, rocking and rolling. And I'm like, okay, this is okay. So I guess more support, more operations, we're good. Right. right. Didn't know who they were, what they were, but uh, get to know them pretty quick. So that was the task force made up of MPs and Army Special Forces. Yes. And, and then they yeah. had helicopters to support right obviously mm -hmm. blackhawks and the little, little birds the little birds right. yeah the little birds yeah then, uh, so you had the elite rangers you had rangers and then and then yeah. your uh gis that were yeah. uh staged in that hangar and along and plus down the flight line so you got to remember this is a un effort so all the way around that flight line 360 were different camps uh -huh. of different countries okay. that were supporting the effort Pakistan, right. Australia, uh, the Italians, yeah. all, you know, all of it. So they it was part uh, of the UN, the UN effort. Right, right. So we didn't really see them on the flight line per se, but they were camped on the other side mm -hmm. of the actual runway. Sure. Right. So mm -hmm. there you go. So that's leading up to it. Right. So from your perspective, what, what <clears throat> happened that day? October 3rd well, comes around. Yeah. What were you doing and what was your experience during <laughs> uh, the Battle of Mogadishu? All right. So we'll, we'll lead up to that. Yeah. So um, as, yeah, as they, yeah, no, no, as they get in to and get settled, uh, their general and one of their docs uh, got together and said, you know, that, little massive right there that's a great little place for a clinic mm -hmm. right wouldn't it be yeah okay so we uh we then started uh attaching with them and their medics and setting up more of a like a day clinic for normal stuff mm -hmm. um to help uh in their support of them and so that relationship started bonding there and then we uh, had a couple of incidences that happened outside the fence line because our supply route by ground was a one-way road uh, to downtown, and that's where we have to go get our supplies. Well, so from like two to four, it would run east to west, and from four to six, it went west to east, uh -huh. right? Uh -huh. So you could, and it had barriers all the way down this road for reasons, right? And right. Um, uh, we had a water truck, two water trucks that got the schedule mixed up. They met head on, and I had to go out with the fire department uh -huh. as a medic because yeah. I didn't have medics, and uh, go out. And it was the first time that I'd manned a, a 60 and had a 16 on my back okay. and had to go out and, and rescue these guys. So we ended up having to use uh, two Humvees to pull these cabs apart to pull the guys out, 
landed a black hawk beside us load them on the black hawk flew him right back to where uh-huh. i was going where uh, some other forces were met him and, and or met them and took care of him. So that's where my my passion for the fire department sure. got lit up. Except I don't have to carry an M16 on <laughs> in Nashville. You had to you had to do it there. So it was an eye opening experience. So those type incidences were happening where the relationship uh, between the Army and the Air Force medics were was growing, and then they tasked three or four of us to be a part of their team. And that's where that relationship started. So then we started training with them on the Blackhawks. And, uh, you know, just doing exercise stuff with them in case anything were to happen or anything like that. So being naive and young, I just thought this is normal operations. But what was really happening was the pace was picking up, right? So I had youth and ignorance on my side. So that's how I guess I got through some of that was (laughs) youth and ignorance. But um, the pace, it was ramping up. So you asked me about October 3rd, they're ramping up. So every night around 6 to 7 o'clock, the enemy, so there was a fence line right right off base, right? So right past that building, you know, you would call a a hangar or whatever, about three or 400 yards from that was the fence line, and there was a road that ran along the fence line. Well, they would, the enemy would, they had these old Toyota-style pickup trucks, and they'd put an RPG launcher in the back, And do 70 miles an hour or 60, whatever, you know, and go as fast as they could, that little thing, and just start launching RPG rounds. Because now we had assets on the tarmac. Big, easy ones to see. That's right, right. And then the hangar and then us and personnel. So they were taking pop shots. Thank God they had terrible aim. Right. But we did, you know, we did have... Uh, you know, injuries, you know, come from that, uh, one-offs, two-offs, and, and, uh, which, and so the pace was picking up, right? So, you know, you'd see that happen, and then the, the little birds would, they'd run out to the little birds and the Blackhawks and take off in the air and go out, and you'd just see tracer rounds flying everywhere, and then next thing you know, they're coming back, and, and so you're like, okay. So, and then we would receive uh, you know, injuries from that and treat those and then evac them out. So then October... Uh, it was Sunday. It was a normal day, so you know, 90 to 110 degrees out there. And um, most of the time, if you're not working the day shift, you're hanging out on the veranda, which the veranda was basically a tent that had the sides rolled up on it, and uh-huh. we had uh, pallets with some wood covering the pallets, and we called it our patio. That's right? sure. where we kind of yep. were able to relax a little bit, right? Yeah. yeah. And um, just a normal day, and. Uh, you would see every once in a while down the flight line when the sun was going down, especially when those RPGs would pop off. You tracer rounds going towards the enemy, and it became a normal part of the day. Well, uh, from what I've been told, I didn't, you know, experience this part. That um, uh, the Muhammad Adid was the uh, drug lord uh, that we are t- uh, speaking of right now. There was um, an opportunity for these guys to. Uh, seize uh, him, capture him, and and do some intel and yep. try to figure out what yep. was going on. Right. I remember correctly, a bunch of his lieutenants. And, uh, it was it was a it was an executive staff. It was yeah. an executive staff meeting right. that was supposed to go down. Right. And so we uh, they they formed um, an operation to go handle that and uh, was bad intel. And uh, so the Blackhawks, you know, they can fly pretty low, and which makes them a target, but. I don't think we were ready for the amount of 
firepower they had, right. right, and their coordinated effort in that. So, yeah, they, that's when uh, uh, the Black Hawk got hit, and that's when things started spinning up. Yeah. So they got to do this operation to go to the hotel and take, yep. take these people, and that's when everything happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah bad yeah. intel. And, yeah. we, I mean, we had received a few, but we weren't, you know, in those briefings, you know, need-to-know type basis, sure. right? And that, you're talking about the elite rangers at this point. So yeah. we didn't ask. We just did what we were told sure. at that point, and – now leading up to that we were playing volleyball during the day you know if we weren't training with them we you know they had a big area and they had i mean they had food for days so gotcha. you know and we'd go hang out and and do our thing with them uh, it was my first experience in brown t-shirts ranger panties which are those little black little shorts, shorts right yeah yeah, yeah. and <laughs> combat boots right so we were all really cool in oakley's i mean oakley's okay. were brand new okay, so we sure. were we were cool man we so i'm cool. telling you we were cool <laughs> and we got to know them real well yeah, I can go down the list of names in my head right now. So right before uh, October 3rd, I turned 24 in in Somalia. So my birthday is September 26th, so about a week prior. Yeah. We had gotten to know these guys pretty good by this point. So they found out it was my birthday, and I was in charge of the clinic that day. Yeah. So naturally, they're out doing exercises. I hear the birds come back and all that. And the next thing I know, the back door is slung open, and they're carrying a guy in, and he is hollering like right. nobody's business, grabbing his ankle. And I'm thinking, okay, he's busted his ankle. I said, bring him over here. Let's get a look at him. And I'll, well, as soon as we set him down on the cot, then I had five special force rangers jump me. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a setup for the word go. Like yeah, I yeah, said, yeah. youth and ignorance, uh -huh. <laughs> right? Yeah. And they jumped me. And the next thing I know, I am zip tied to a, um, <laughs> to a cot. And they're carrying me around wow. and making all kinds of stuff happen, yeah, and yeah. you know, and then uh, blindfolded me and da 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 da, and stood right. me up on a wall, and then they, you know, took the mask off of me, and then everybody was in the tent singing happy birthday, right. and and we're having a good time. So that's you know, so yeah. that's the kind of relationship that was yeah. going on. Yeah. So little did I know, you know, the same guys that I'm that I was having a, a blast with, uh, turn around and a week later I'm, right. you know, yeah. <laughs> life-saving techniques right. or or watching them uh, pass on in my hands. So it was it was pretty um, incredible. So that was leading up to that. Just gives you kind of the background of Jay Survey's point of view of what was going on in Somalia. And then, like you said, the uh, Bloody Sunday happened, and um, the operation was going on in the afternoon. And, and don't hold me to my times, but I feel like it was three-ish, you know, four-ish, right? Like at that time, and then and then it just started getting. It started happening. Yeah, I definitely yeah. want to hold you to times. I've done research for this interview, right. and I've watched documentaries and read timelines, and I, I, it was so much and so complicated. It's mm -hmm. it's hard to remember. So no, no, definitely won't. Yes. So, so so what happened? So so down. yeah. So and I'll I'll use the movie as some reference sure. points for so folks can understand where I'm coming from because mm -hmm. sometimes I I get off course a little bit. But so we were we were running the clinic. The massive slash clinic, yeah. all the guys had gone out on a mission. So we were kind of prepping for some small stuff, you know, like making sure all my my bandages and all my, my airway supply, you know, making sure everything was ready to go and just kind of doing that. Uh, the first patient that uh, I received, now there, there are two incidences here that happened. It was downtown, mm -hmm. right? And that's that's the movie, mm -hmm. yeah. and horrific. And then there was the flight line tarmac, where we were where we received 
the mortar round, right. small small arms fire yeah. while we were taking these guys in. Yeah. And that's where I was. Right. Okay, so um, before that, yeah, that the stuff happened on the tarmac, and the click it, was not in the stuff. No, 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 no. You, it now. gets kind of referred to with the Humvees because mm-hmm. the Humvees were taking folks to somewhere, and it didn't really show the stadium, but yeah. it was somewhere. Well, that somewhere was the tarmac, sure, yeah, where we were then became a first line level of care to send them back to a mass unit to get them back mm-hmm. to get them evac'd out. Yeah. But that was days later, so right. during the battle. Uh, so uh, the first uh, patient I received was um, in the movie, you see a guy miss the fast rope and he falls into yep. the into the dust, right? Yep. Uh, he was my first patient. He came in, you know, uh, being carried by, the, by his guys and uh, extensive airways and all kinds of stuff were, was going on for him. And it felt different because the guys were dressed different. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They were blacked out. They were battle rattle had changed from desert look to all black, small helmets, ballistic gotcha. vests, yeah. knee pads, elbow pads. I'm like, something's different. Mm-hmm. Something's going down. Yeah. And then one of the guys said, Jaybird, man, get ready because this shit's on. Gotcha. And I was like, yeah. ah, yeah. okay. So we had that one. There was like a little lull, right? We had that one. We got him right. off in another Blackhawk to the mass unit to get him stabilized. And there was a, there was a, a, you know, it may have been 30 minutes. I don't know, but it just felt like a lull, right? But, sure. but at the same time, the intensity that was in that tent, like there was, it was uncomfortable for, it was uncomfortable because yeah. we didn't know what was going on. And then, like I told you, mortar rounds pretty much every night. And then we started getting a couple of those. Well, we gotten used to that, right? And we had, we had, we were, our tent was surrounded by um, pallets. And anybody in the military will know what I'm talking about when I say aircraft pallets, not sure. wooden pallets, but the, the metal ones that are six by six or whatever they are, right? Slide into the rails. The that's right. Line. That's right. Well, we had them stacked up as tall as the tent around the perimeter of the tent. And then at the entrances, we had, we were sandbagged up to, so naturally ingress, egress out of the tent. Uh, so we would get into the tent thinking that was, you know, <laughs> the tent's not going to you know, shield no, right. you from an RPG. Right. But, you know, just in case one landed beside, we had uh, we had yeah. the pallets and all that. So, you know, we'd get ready for that. And then and then it started happening. Then, because um, we didn't know that the Blackhawk had gone down yet. Sure. We just knew that we were taking on patients. Well, about the third or fourth patient, one of the buddies that I made that I was telling you about that, with the ranger panties and combat boots right but right. one of those friends right said jay um what's happening we're in a battle right one of the birds went down and we're going in to get him right. so right. you know you know pray for us you know because they knew how they're praying yeah. uh, they knew i was a man of faith sure right yeah and they were buddies so you know i was like okay let's do it man and um anyway we started so that they started coming in with these guys and they were messed up. So you gotta remember, this is my first besides practicing on a dummy in school. Right. Right? A mannequin. Uh my first real experience with trauma. Absolutely. <laughs> so um anyway, sorry to be emotional, but it's just uh, part of it. Sure. That that one led to um three or four more coming in uh and most of them uh, right off the bat were uh, uh gunshot wounds to the leg or to the arm or small shrapnel yeah. wounds from the rpgs or rockets yeah. 
pace kept coming. It got faster and, fa- and more were showing up. Now the guys are in tears, right? Yeah. So they're just, and they have to keep running off, you know, into yeah. the dark. Because it's still going on. It's still going on. You got to keep going. You got to keep going. You got to keep going. Because, you know, as a human, we, we can cower in our fear or we can stand up and go. You didn't have a choice because you were being shot at. It, it's fight or flight. Yeah, yeah. Really on yeah. The so you, you have, that's what you have to do, right? Yeah. And that's where our training comes in. Uh, in the military, you don't realize how important that training is until something like that's going down. So instead of cowering down, we started standing up and started treating. And we had um, had to set up triage areas outside of the tent. We had to um, uh, start moving. And then uh, I don't remember how many patients in I was. They carried one guy in. He's unconscious, but he's breathing. I'll leave names out of it. And then uh, one of the guys trailing the cot, coming in, litter. I keep calling it a cot. It's a litter that they're carrying, right? And then we put them on cots Mm -hmm. to treat them. Uh, Handed me his hand, right? Right. Right. And, you know, I'm I'm like, he goes, that's his. I was like, okay. And I can remember it like it was, I mean, yesterday. Yeah. Because the watch was still on the wrist. So it got him about mid-forearm. And the watch was still working, and there was a like a wedding ring on his a, a, a made makeshift wedding ring, you know. So I put the hand in a bag and put it in between his legs uh-huh. as we, because we still had to treat him. Sure. Well, I'm doing my head to toe on him, and there's another medic in there that was prior army, that became a, a very good friend of mine. I was doing my head to toe. He still had his ballistic vest on. And because we had to watch out for grenades and, you know, all the other things that they had on them. Right, right. For, for themselves to use. And I, I saw, yeah, I saw sure. something. And I was like, hold on a minute. And I, I reached back to my buddy and said, what is this? Help me out. And he was like, don't stop. Yeah. Don't touch him. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what? He said, that's an RPG round that had not yeah. triggered itself. That's how slow they were flying. Yeah, like it didn't have enough time to rotate enough to trigger itself, right? So because it has to rotate so many times and it uh-huh. triggers itself, okay. then then it then it can blow on contact. Yeah. Well, it lodged in his chest. Wow. Right. So the hand. So in the movie, you'll see a guy in a black hawk do uh, do one of those numbers where you like, you know, you're fixing to get hit. You kind of um, turn. turn. You yeah. turn, wince or turn. Well, that's what he did. He was wincing or turning. And the fin of the RPG round cut his hand, and the head went into his chest. I'm like, okay, so what we did, and so we had to cease operations. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Because we had 100 people in this tent now. Oh, and, and I mean, and just. Now you need EOD. And, I, I mean, and there's. Yeah. There's. It, it's a chaos in there, and there's blood and, and rags and, and four by fours and airways laying around everywhere, and we're just still trying to stabilize. Well, we end up having to take him out, away from, and yeah. and bury him alive. Oh my goodness! In sandbags yeah. until EOD got there. Sure. Now he was unconscious. Yeah. He didn't know what was going on, but he was right. still breathing. Yeah. I'm just out of college. Uh, sure. Okay, so it's yeah. crazy, and I'm not even processing any of that yet, and we're still going, and then several more, several more, and then another one that I remember was. Uh, the dock that was the special forces dock that teamed us all together had gotten hit by an RPG round. It clipped him in, in the in the compound in the hangar. Yeah, and they brought him over, and he was conscious and matter in hell. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> and, and me and another medic, I'll, I'll, I'm leaving names out because I just I want people to tell their own story, yeah, right? Sure, sure. He was talking to him because we had a lead medic there that was kind of over all of us that had 20 years of experience, right? And he was a paramedic in Denver and all that kind of stuff. And he, the doc, was looking at the medic, and I was at the head because we all had our position in the tent when we received a patient. You're going to take the head. I'll take this. And so that way we were a team in uh-huh. unison. Uh-huh. And uh, he was mad as hell. And he kept telling this medic I'm talking about, yeah. you will not intubate me. What's my blood pressure? What is my pulse? Right. What? Where am I at? Okay, now do this, do that. And, and we were just waiting because I saw the medic I'm talking about looked at me with that look like, we're going to innovate this guy. Uh-huh. He's going uh-huh. down, Jay. And you had the head. I had the head, and I had the two. <laughs> yeah. And he kept it. He was cussing, and he was mad, and he finally, you know, went unconscious, like we thought, because yeah. we were stabilizing the leg where he was hit, yeah. and we innovated him and, and got him out, and he came back later, later on, and... and, and, and Harder to tell you what yeah. to do with yeah. the two Well, guys. Well, he came back later stabilized uh-huh. uh, uh, with his injury stabilized, and he made it, and... Uh, he was very thankful for our for our help, yeah. but he he knew, and um, then it, it kept going. So then, I guess we're 12 hours into it. I think it went 72 hours, about three days of the battle, and there were lulls. There were like little breaks. You're never on break really, but you right. know, like breaks in the the massive amount of people you're receiving. Did you just nap? Well, we got ready. No, I didn't sleep for three days. Um, We stayed up on coffee and and adrenaline and just kept pumping through. Because you got to remember, the ones we were stabilizing and sending to the mass unit were getting small surgical things done. They were coming right back to us, and then we had to evac them out. So we had a two-stage thing going. We had immediate care, and then we had the evac piece at the same time because it was running over each other. Uh, So I'm saying 12, 16 hours into it, then... The birds are up and they're on loudspeakers and they're and Durant had been captured at this point, right? The, the pilot of the, the pilot of the, of the yeah. Hawks, mm-hmm. yeah. They were on loudspeakers in the aircraft, you know, 24 hours a day and saying, "Mike, don't give up. Stay strong. We're coming to get you. We're coming to get you. Mike, don't give up. We're coming. You are brother." But about you know. And that was as much the, to him as it was the, it, and, the bad guys. Yeah, did. yeah. And that it was time to negotiate, right? For that 16th hour, I'm thinking. In the movie, that's where you see the Humvees kind of get locked in, mm-hmm. right, by the street fires and yep. the enemy um, suppressive fire and the actual fires they were setting it in, in roads and things where we couldn't, where they were blocking us in. Yeah. And we started receiving patients, you know, from that piece right. too, right? And if I feel like during that time is when we got our big second wave of folks, and that's while Durant was still mm-hmm. down in about 16 hours. It felt like that second wave was happening, and um, we we got some more uh, severe uh, injuries in, and I was able to, and our team was able to stabilize a lot of them, uh, but then there were several that had you know died right there in front of me, from either uh, blunt force trauma or fall or you know, devastating injury, and uh, so you're trying to process some of that and still provide medical support and meet the mission. That second wave while we're getting them, that's when the RPG rounds started going off on the flight line. So at that point, we were having to run out on the flight line. So the little birds are coming back in, right? And they're bringing some folks in. And the Humvees are coming in. And we're getting shelled mm-hmm. on the flight line. Yeah. Now, I've got pilots' names uh, 
in my head right now, but I remember one, we had gotten close, real close, and he flew in and he landed and I ran out to the bird. And of course it's night, so all I see is his eyes were being lit up by the night vision. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, he was teared up and he was looking at me and he was shaking his head and he just kept pointing behind him, you know, cause he had some folks on there that was dropping off. Yeah. And it was then I knew that we weren't even close to being done yet. Right. And we're still going. So we, our team gets those guys off, get them in a tent, get them stabilized. All the meanwhile, running back out and dragging guys off the flight line that are getting hit by the RPG rounds. Right. It was then that, um, of course, I've been a, a Christian in my, my whole life. Both my grandfathers were pastors. My dad, mom, you know, deacons in the church and yeah. leadership. So, but, but it was then that uh, <laughs> I had a true in my face definition of divine intervention because I, I, I walked away from that without a scrape, not even a jammed finger, yeah. you know, or whatever. And it could have been very different. I read somewhere where you, you got knocked down. Yeah, so you're right. One of those times, one of those trips out, the concussion got me and knocked me down on a, another guy. Uh, I'll save his name, but I landed on top of him, and all he could say was, say that prayer. <laughs> I'm like, okay. You know, and of course, you're doing a self-check because I'm, sure. I'm like, where were we hit? But, you know, we weren't hit. Yeah. And uh, we kept going back uh, for for more uh, folks that were just, I mean, the, the bloody screams, that blood curling scream, I guess is how it's, you know, said, sometimes referred to, of medic, you know, medic, medic. And they just kept coming and kept coming. And we were, you know, either dragging them off the flight line or helping them, you know, limp off the flight line. Or two of us were, you know, doing, you know, pick them up and carry them in or whatever and to get them stabilized. And... Uh, was knocked off my feet twice by concussions, once on, on the guys referring to earlier and then once on a, um, a solo run to get to a helicopter. But I think we, we drug in um, about, I can't remember the number, Colonel, I'm sorry, but I, I'm going to say it was 16 to 20 guys that we pulled in from that other battle that was going on. Yeah, uh, yeah so it was a pretty interesting time. And then I think the whole thing lasted – the intensity piece of that was 72 hours, 71 patients, and 19 of those being special forces that uh, were killed in action. Yeah. yeah. Which was, uh, you know, once you got to slow down and and settle down a little bit, it, w it set in on most of us. So yeah. the weeping and uh, the isolation piece and not knowing how to think or what to think. So if anything comes out of that, you know, the mental health of our soldiers is very important. Very important. Absolutely. And it's real. It, it yeah. is. Yeah. I know is. we talk about it, but you don't see it. So you're just kind of like, you yeah. blow it off sometimes yeah. in people. But man, if they've been through things that they're, yeah. they're dealing, I promise. Cause I'm still carrying it today. I mean, Absolutely. I just, I mean, I just started crying a little bit. Right. You know what I mean? About the, the injuries. It's totally so you end up carrying that, that yeah. for the rest of your life. That's why freedom is such a precious commodity that we have because of the yeah. price you know, and, and when you're young and, and, and dumb and ignorant, like I said earlier, freedom is this thing. It's just a thing that we talk about. It's, you know, it's colors and a thing that we talk about in America, right? But, man, that's, it's a privilege and it's earned. Yeah. And uh, we should always think of those that have served. Absolutely. Yep. Thank you for sharing all of that. I really appreciate yeah. it. Uh, as difficult or, or in some of it's funny, some of it's <laughs> yeah. challenging, some of yeah. it's difficult. Thank you for sharing. Oh, that. yeah, absolutely. I appreciate it. So 
Let's keep going if you don't mind. Yeah. So the main part of the battle settles down. Right. And you, and, but you're still there. Mm-hmm. How much longer are you there and what was that time? I like? think we were there till the last week of November. Yeah. yeah. You just reminded me of something. I'm going to tell the story. So people would come and go out of that theater because of the different support elements or, you know, they, the, you know, guard orders, how guard orders work, you know, 60, 90, you know, right. 120, 179 is pretty much, right, <laughs> right. right. But you hardly yes. see over 179, yeah. 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 but yeah, for all the reasons that we know, but um, when people would leave the Moog, so we had bunkers that were, um, that we dug out and we used those same pallets I referred to earlier as the walls. Mm-hmm. And as the roof, and then we would cover those the roof w- uh-huh. with sandbags, yeah. and we'd build it up, you know, below grade enough to stand up down there, yeah. barely, and then go above grade a little bit just to give you a little bit more headroom. That was kind of a place you could go and just be by yourself on top, because the sunsets were when we weren't getting shelled were gorgeous. Sure. So you could go up there with a lounge chair or whatever, or a stool, and sit on top of this bunker and watch the sunset. Well, we turned that into a platform, a stage per se, for when people would leave, when they'd been there 30-plus days and they would leave before us, well, the group of medics would get together on top of the bunker because the bunker, the the actual um, flight line, runway, sorry, I had a runway, not the tag, the runway. The runway was close. Like, we could feel, like, every time a, a C5 or uh, we felt the exhaust sure. in the tent. Yeah. That's how close we yeah. were. So we'd get on top of this bunker, and as they were taking off, because they only took off really one way, because wind. You know, wind, and we were right next to the ocean, so it pretty, stayed pretty consistent. So they would take off. Wheels would come off the ground about the time they were passing the bunker. Yeah. It was sunset most of the time for some reason. So we would all turn around, drop our pants, and moon them. As they were, and we called it moon over the Moog, right? Moon over the Moog. And they would take off, and that was our way of saying, you know, screw you, and we love you all. Yeah, all at the same time, yeah. So you would have seven or eight medics lined up yes. hip to hip, mooning them as they would leave. So that was that was one yeah, of the traditions. Yeah. yeah, so, yeah. so um, we stayed there, and... Um, the battle, uh, of course, it took several days, you know, for uh, to recover from the battle, the injuries and getting them arrow med out because yeah. some folks would take longer at the at the mass unit, you know, just to get them stabilized for flight. And then we were flying them out. And um, believe it or not, after that, I had called home to ask if I could extend my orders. Uh, something unique happens when you go through those type of situations with folks. Yep. And you don't feel like you can leave them. Yep. And um, didn't know that that was going to happen to me because I was young and I didn't didn't know any better. But and they gave me the extension for another sixty days, yeah. so ended up doing one twenty. You were asking about that. It's a, the bond and the brotherhood and and the relationships that are are so made in such a short amount of time under that kind of circumstance are are uh, they're already battle tested. Forgive the pun, right? Yeah. So you don't want to leave that. Right. And then even the guilt that you feel if you're getting ready to leave, because now you're leaving people that need you. Right. That that was that was a tough uh, thing to do. But yeah, leading up, leading out, it had calmed down. Um, they had made some requests for additional resources right after October third for some more uh, air superiority. Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, the AC-130 came in and started handling business, sure. and uh, it really, 
after that, he went underground. The Muhammad Adid went underground, and things had calmed down. I mean, I've got relationships with guys that, you know, had kill shots on him that were denied the kill shot, and then they hit him in the calf from a helicopter. You know, right. these these guys are That's truly, man, they're crazy. I, I remember him coming back and telling me that story because we were on the veranda. That's where we all met and kind of decompressed every night or whatever time of the day it was. And, yeah, we got to go out and uh, do some more missions uh, on, the, on the birds and with the fire department. And so it went almost from uh, pure hell, uh, hell on earth yeah. to – to more of like normal operations yeah. that last, especially the last 30 days I was there. Right. And then I felt like it was, it was time. Uh, Cause they took, they took off the, yeah. the special Rangers and mm-hmm. that element that was living next to us had finally uh, yeah. packed up. And the national policy changed. And the national policy changed. Like right. Right. I just remember, uh, you know, the thing I want uh, folks to know too is, you know, I talked about the mental health piece of that and how important that is to pay attention to is, Deployments, you know, different deployments. You go to a deployment and it was the best time of your life, or you can go to deployment and you've seen some things that you thought you'd never see. I know that we've been on a, a major kick on mental health, you know, lately, because I think we're becoming more educated in it. But I just want people to know that, man, um, don't ignore the help because it's there for a reason. That's right. So uh, I didn't go get the help initially because I was afraid it was going to get in the way right. of right. making – another stripe or being given opportunity to excel or I felt like people would hold it against me because, Hey man, Jason, he's kind of screwed up in the head from that Somalia thing, dude. We can't, you know, right. The stigma, right? So don't be afraid of that stigma because we are so much more advanced than what we were in 93 to now go get the help and they'll get you back in the game. And the stigma is something we put on ourselves. It's not necessarily always really there. Right, yeah, yeah. We're our own worst enemy when yeah. it comes to that. So, yeah. man, be brave enough. If you, if you think you're brave, be brave enough to go get the help you need and then get get back in your boots. Yes. If you want back in your boots, you're afraid of leave, leave, losing your boots, then go get help and get back in your boots yeah. and do your job. I carry that. You know, I, man, there are, even yesterday, there are certain sounds or smells or a movement of people, right, that will trigger those detailed thoughts in my head right Mm -hmm. of those remembering those times just like uh and even on the fire department when i was making rescues out of cars right my mind would go back you know to those water trucks i was talking about earlier that that time in my life was probably the earmark of where a boy became a man absolutely right not not just by not just by battle but by the way of thinking the way we process and prioritize uh, things in life. The military has challenged me, but I also feel like the military has been a major player in my development as a man. Absolutely. Right? And for that, I'm grateful. Yes. Master J. Survey, <laughs> thank you so much for sharing your story. Uh, I, I bet there's, uh, you, you said 19 dead, I know there was 84 wounded, 200 people involved. There yep. was probably a lot of people that came through that clinic and that air med. That, that thank you and are appreciative of you and are are better today because of that yeah. action. Yeah. So. Oh, one more story. Please bring it. Yes. Michael Durant. The, pilot. the one that was captured, right? Yeah. One that the movie was based on. Right. So I stayed in touch with a few folks and then naturally life happens and you kind of lose touch with folks and you take on your kids and your wife and yeah. car notes and mortgages and you just kind of <laughs> lose touch with folks. 
Durant, I never uh, got to reach back out to. So when Durant was uh, rescued and I was part of the team that uh, was able to get him onboarded and, and ready for evac, we got him in. I got acquainted with him, uh, took care of him, and then was in charge of his stuff as we uh, evac'd him out. So 10th Mountain was there. The Special Forces Rangers were there. And hundreds so the 141 that he flew out on was parked on the tarmac. Uh-huh. They had made a line from the massive to the back of the aircraft. Like an order crop cordon. Yes. Two, two rows. Two rows. Facing the middle. Yeah. Facing the middle. Yeah. I got to walk him down that. He was on a litter. Uh-huh. We were carrying him. And, yeah. and we got to the tail of the aircraft and they stopped and they, uh, some army chant, I can't remember uh-huh. sure. what it was, or maybe I can't repeat it. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah. They wanted me to give him a shot of Jack Daniels before he got on the plane. So <laughs> we, we got good Tennessee whiskey, yes. and we got to because uh, you know one sixtieth was out of Clarksville. So yeah, yeah. anyway, we uh, we got to do that, and then um, lost touch with him. But we'll always remember uh, that that battle. But twenty eight years later, our wing had its anniversary, and Durant was the keynote speaker. So they had uh, worked in about 10 minutes for me and him to do a one-on-one. Nice. And that was a pretty cool moment. Do you remember the shot of whiskey? Yeah. Uh, well, you know, he was on morphine, too, right. so I don't know. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> I don't know, maybe. He said he did out of being nice, I think. But, you know, yeah. but yeah. What, a, what a great story he is of, of, of uh, overcoming obstacles and, yeah. and pursuing life because life is precious, right? Yes. So we have to keep going. So that, that was a, a, a true moment for me to be able to see him and deal with uh, a lot of stuff that, you know, you carry around when you go through something like that. My Sergeant Survey, thank you. Yes, sir. Thank you so much for sharing your story. Absolutely. What a great story of leadership and, and servant and, mm. and just, just really appreciate you being here. Yes, sir. It's been a, it's and been a fun ride. I'm so glad that people are going to get to hear your story through this. <laughs> Thank That's you. great. Thank you for having me. And, and to all those that catch this podcast, uh, you are precious and you are appreciated. Yes. Thank you. Yep. Thanks for listening to the 1796 podcast. If you like what you heard, please consider subscribing, sharing this episode with friends, and giving us a five-star review. The 1796 podcast is produced by the Airmen and Soldiers of the Tennessee National Guard Joint Public Affairs Office. For more information, please visit www.tn.gov/military.